you take your seats, I invite you to turn in your copies of God's holy and inspired word back to Matthew chapter 5. We will once again read verses 21 through 26, this time zeroing in on the specific applications of what Jesus has to tell us here this morning. The title of the sermon this morning is Pro-Life Relationships in Heart and Conduct. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, what an amazing privilege it is to be loved by you. By a love that is truly, that truly excels any and all love. As it is the love that comes from within you. As it is the love that you have enjoyed within yourself. And as it is the love that is drawing us to yourself even today. Through these words of Jesus Christ, who is your love, who is your joy, who has come down to earth to us. Help us as we listen to Christ to do so with ears that that hear a compassionate God revealing the importance of these things to us. Help us, Lord, as our hearts will be tempted to tremble before the specifics of this text. To remember that they, if we are in Christ, are are being mediated through the perfect righteousness that Christ has already gifted to us. And help us to rest in this, Lord, not so that we won't take it seriously, but so that we would Take it of utmost concern that we might manifest the righteousness already gifted to us in Christ. Help us, Lord, indeed, to to receive this as your perfect love and to be restored as those who are being changed from glory unto glory. Help us, Lord, to be lost in wonder, love, and praise. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. 
Well, we read from this same passage last Sunday, and it was interesting uh, how many uh, emails I got this week uh, emailing me about um, what, what we talked about in the sermon about anger, which was just really funny to me because we actually didn't discuss anger at all last week. Uh, we just read the words. Guess what? The Spirit. The Spirit was taking His Word and He was doing something in your heart for you to have latched on to something that we didn't actually talk about. But today we are going to talk about anger. So if last week was helpful, this week could just be amazing. That was a joke. I have been marinating (laughs) in this text for a few weeks. Um, and, and it has not been a very comfortable place to be. Because what Jesus is doing here is he has introduced some, some pretty broad general principles that he is now going to drive home with some very specific areas. Christian discipleship, as we talked about last week, is growing in grace and obedience where the inside and the outside grow more and more to reflect the Christ who is being formed within us. And we said from the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount that there are some very uh, general principles here that, that Christ is revealing to us about what it means to be his disciples. We have to be emptied of ourselves. We have to be emptied of the values and the virtues of, of our preferences of the world, the flesh, and the dark forces. We have to be emptied of those things to be filled with the virtues and the values and the practices of Jesus Christ. And as those who are in Christ, we play this amazing role in the world where we are ambassadors of the heavenly places, where we uh, live as salt and light within this world, where our existence is about being a preservative amongst a a dark generation, being a preservative uh, amongst a, a world that is under the curse of God because of sin. That we are light, showing the path that leads away from that which is false to that which is true. To lead away from that which is ugly to that which is beautiful. To lead away uh, from that which, which is immoral and unrighteous to the goodness of God. The, the existence of the church within this world as we participate in the life and light of the triune God in Christ, we serve as manifestations of that light and that life within this world. For us to do that then, we have to grow, we have to develop, we have to mature more and more into Christ. And what we talked about last week was these fundamental principles that Jesus is revealing here, which, if you remember, the children's catechism has summed up so well for us. How does God make you holy? 
Do you, do you remember the answer? Or I think the question is, how does God sanctify you? <laughs> Never mind. No, I'm joking. Say it again, Daniel. That's exactly right. How does God sanctify us? How does God grow us to become more and more like Jesus Christ? He makes us more and more holy, progressively growing more and more like God in our heart and conduct. Not just conduct and not just heart, but where the internal and the external are growing more and more into a consistent congruence in Jesus Christ. Being, having a righteousness that surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees is not simply about trying to avoid bad behavior. And it's not simply about trying to keep oneself unstained. But it's about growing and courageously and actively living out God's will. Courageously. Actively. And so the general principles we introduced last week is obedience is not merely about outward behavior, but it's about devotion of the whole self. Internally, and externally. Obedience is not an end in itself. Obedience is a means of devotion to God. God is not asking us as his people when he says something to just grit our teeth and say, fine, I'll do it. Half the time, I don't even get that far. What he is looking for is for us to respond to his love by saying, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Help me. Help me to want to do this. Help me to do it. It's about the heart manifesting itself in attitudes and actions. Obedience is not simply about avoiding certain sins. Devotion is about loving God and loving our neighbor. So even though the sixth commandment, for example, says, thou shalt not, and even though all ten commandments start off with, thou shalt not, when Jesus summarizes the teaching of the ten commandments, what does he say the ten commandments teach? He says that they teach us to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength and to love our neighbor as ourselves. To follow God's word, to, to live in devotion to God according to what he reveals requires positive action on our part, not just negative action. It does require negative, but it also requires positive. God himself is love. And before you and I were ever created, God lived in an eternity of a perfect, harmonized 
love between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then Scripture tells us that God created us in His image. This means for you and me, it it means for our neighbor, that everyone has inherent value because we are images of God. And even though sin has broken into the world, and even though sin has corrupted the image, it has not obliterated it. And you and I, as we are renewed in Jesus Christ, we're not just renewed to receive God's love, we are renewed to be conduits of his So let's talk about anger. Here, as we said last week, Jesus is, is contrasting the, the, the bad, the, 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 uh, the inaccurate interpretation and application of the, of the law of God by the scribes and Pharisees. And he contrasts that by saying, hey, this is what you've heard But here, let me tell you how to rightly interpret and imply the sixth commandment. Now, what you've heard is don't commit, uh, thou shalt not kill, because if you do, you will be liable to judgment. And the way that that Jesus is is taking these two ideas together, what, what he is trying to help us to understand is what we know from history was going on in that day. That they, they, there really was this, this big push on don't kill someone physically because if you do, you run the risk of being judged by the Sanhedrin and being stripped of your inheritance. You run the risk of losing out on, on God's blessings. But what does Jesus say? is the reason we should be careful not to kill someone. Is it that because you might stand before the Sanhedrin and you might lose some earthly blessing? Or is it that you will stand before God and lose eternal blessing? That's quite different, isn't it? We've talked about the way the Pharisees and the scribes liked to minimize the law. They liked to shrink it down to make it uh, more doable. They didn't like being told that they had broken every law in thought, word, and deed. Instead, they wanted to be able to say, well, there are laws we've kept, and the ones we haven't, they're not as important. (laughs) You and I do the same thing, so don't let your imagination run too wild with yourself there. What Jesus is helping us to understand is that the way that the internal and external work together is that the exact same penalty that Jesus says murder will receive, he then goes on to say, is the exact same penalty that anger and insults receive. How easy is it for us to become tempted into thinking at times? Well, at least 
I didn't do what I wanted to do and strangle the guy. What Jesus is trying to help us to understand is is that from God's perspective, there is no distinction. Anger in attitudes and in words is as destructive to the image of God as murder itself. And so Jesus here impresses upon us the necessity of being radically pro-life in our relationships, especially inside the church and inside the home. Now, what Jesus says here applies across the board. It applies to every relationship that you have within this world because the the living out of what Jesus is talking about here is grounded in your union with him. This is how Jesus lives. And so as those who have Christ living in us, this is how we are to strive to reflect that Christ in all of our relationships. But notice he says here uh, with regards to our brother. And brother here would have been a term that was used to talk about those within the covenant community. It would have been a term that could be used to discuss those who have relationships within the family. So he is very specifically talking about here that, that for relationships that are within the covenant, both in terms of the church and in the family, we are to approach our attitude of anger and we are our emotions of anger and we are to approach the words that show our anger in the exact same way that we approach thou shall not kill. Now, if you'll look in your text, some of the English translations have a little note there um, where the phrase without cause, you who are angry with your brother without cause. Um, some, some of the New Testament Greek manuscripts have that little phrase without, without cause um, as part of the text. Uh, most of them do not. Um, more than likely, this was a scribal note um, that eventually got copied into the text. But we don't need without cause to be there explicitly to know that what Jesus is talking about here is, is unjust anger. Because the scripture does tell us that there is such a thing as righteous anger. Paul, if you remember when we were in Ephesians, talks about being angry and not sinning. And so it is possible to have righteous anger. It is possible to, to be angry without sinning. And so the, whether we, we put it explicitly in the text or whether it's just there by way of necessity, what Jesus is talking about here is unrighteous anger. What he's talking about here is anger without cause. What he's talking about is when you get angry at someone else because of something they did or something they did not do. And when you have that emotional response to that person with, 
Now, some of us live with just kind of churning sometimes. But that's what he's talking about. Has anybody ever had a hateful thought? Has anyone had a critical thought? Has anyone ever had a thought of contempt? A thought of scorn? A thought of derision? You see, when you don't make thou shalt not kill just simply about physical murder and you make it about your, your inward emotional posture towards someone, then it really raises the stakes, doesn't it? What Jesus says is, is, is that when you're tempted to think that you haven't broken the sixth commandment because you haven't literally murdered anyone, He says, you need to recognize that you most certainly, however, have experienced wrongful anger and even done violence to others with your attitudes and with your speeches, your speech. Might might I add your facial expressions? It is so easy. Even when we think we have a righteous reason to be anger for it to become something else. Yesterday, I watched the new docuseries on the Duggar family. I think it's called Shiny Happy People, something like that. I never watched... The, the show, does anybody, do people know who the Duggar family is? Okay. Well, I didn't for years because we didn't have cable back then. Um, but even if we had, we wouldn't have watched that show. Um, but it's, it, it, was a, uh, it was one of those reality television shows about this Christian family um, that was part of the Bill Gothard movement, that they had really... Uh, bought into the teachings of Bill Gothard, to the values of Bill Gothard, uh, and that they saw their family on this television show as an opportunity to be evangelists for the, the Bill Gothard movement within America. Not to go into detail, but the end of the story is that what they showed on television was not actually what was going on in the home. And the presentation of these happy little children who were perfectly obedient was nothing more than a presentation of children who had been both emotionally and physically and in some, and in some cases intimately abused. They looked like shiny happy people on the outside, but the children on the inside were absolutely broken. Some of the older children have started talking about and writing about the experiences. The oldest child is in jail. The oldest child, who was a spokesperson in Washington, D.C., for a conservative, family-values-oriented political group that many of us in here 
would have said, we agree with a lot of what's being represented, is in jail for some reprehensible, unimaginative evil. Christy and I, in our, in our time of being married and in the jer- different churches that we have ministered in, we have, we have bumped up against Gothard, the teachings of the full quiver movement, the, the, the radical teachings of, of the submission of the wife to the point that there's, a, there's agreed upon and often assigned, assigned contract as to how many swats the husband will give her depending on what offense she has given him. We have been up against this, this version of, of child discipline that has all kinds of Bible verses attached to it, but is nothing less than physical abuse. Now, I want you to take what Jesus says here and think about it for a moment, but not by going to the extremes of what I just described. There there is unrighteousness there and there is unholiness there that it is so easy for me to get angry at and that those are things that that I should be angry about. But how easy is it for me, even within that, to take a step away from those people and say, well, I've never done that. And so look at how godly I am. Here's what Jesus tells us to do. Think back over the way that you have dealt with your children in your home. Think back to how you have dealt with your your spouse in your home. Think back to how you have dealt with your parents in your home and ask yourself, have you ever gotten so angry that you were willing to give them a dirty look? Have you ever gotten so angry, not because there was unrighteousness, but simply because they didn't give me first-time obedience? And your spanking was more the outworking of your frustration in your heart. What Jesus says is that is the same as murder. And one of the things that we know is that in families and in churches where there has been a persistent abuse of authority. What we know is that even if it doesn't physically take someone's life, it can and often does forever alter their lives where they live as those who are in constant anxiety or who are in constant anger over what has happened to them. And do you remember what our catechism question said about being pro-life? It's about making sure that we are protecting our own lives 
and the lives of others. You can play a role in crushing yourself when you don't relate to to God's word rightly, which the whole system of Bill Gothard is, is built on making sure you live in such guilt and in such shame because you're not perfect that you have to please a heavenly father who is not easily pleased and that he can change his mind on a whim, which leaves you in anxiety, which leaves you in anger. Or you can play a role in, in, in cultivating your heart according to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That Christ has fulfilled all of these things. He has taken the penalties of your guilt. He has taken the penalties of your shame. And he does this so that you and I, who don't perfectly obey the Father, can live under the Father's eternal smile forevermore. With a Father who is pleased with us because he's pleased with Christ. Think about that the next time that you go to interact with your child as you seek to put the discipline of God before your child. Make sure it's God's discipline that you're putting before them and not your own. When you're tempted to to think that, well, maybe I didn't act out on my anger against my child, but you know what? I gave him a look that made them know that that they're as good as dead. I insulted them. I put them down. I made sure that even though I didn't act out, I made sure that they knew how I felt by the words that I used. Make sure the next time that you go to interact with yourself, you go to interact with a family member, that you remember what Jesus says. Those looks... Those insults, when you call someone raka, when you call someone an idiot, when you say to to someone, well, you're stupid, Jesus says that you are engaged in murdering. When you're living in a constant state of a critical heart, critical of yourself, critical of your spouse, critical of your children, you are in the process of murdering yourself and those around you. When you engage in the insults, and yes, that includes when we do it in a Christian way, and we say, bless your... Uh Yeah, y'all didn't want to say it because y'all all know it. When you say, bless your heart, remember the words of Jesus. It doesn't matter if we add Christian words to it. It doesn't matter if we add proof texts from the scripture that we think, you know, justify it. If we do anything where we experience unjust anger, let alone manifest that with a dirty look or an insult or a critical word, you have broken the sixth commandment. And what Jesus says you have earned because of that is not being judged by men, 
is not the potential of having to come before the court of the church in church discipline. But apart from Christ, a dirty look and an insulting word has earned hell. So isn't it good that when God calls us not simply not to engage in unjust anger and not simply not to insult people, but when he calls us to love as he loves, to love as those who have been loved, as Jesus said back uh, in, in the early part of the sermon when he said, Blessed are the peacemakers. What he calls us to is a radical pro-life engagement of relationships. Where rather than getting angry at someone else, we are encouraged here to embody our Savior Jesus Christ, who when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he was hated, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And so what Jesus tells us here is to deal with these attitudes and these words. What we are to do is focus on the practice of engaging in keeping short accounts with our neighbors and being willing to own the brokenness of the relationship by going to those who have something against us and initiating the process of peace. We are not ever able to perfectly, in our hearts and in our words, manifest Christ. But one of the most beautiful presentations of Christ is when we humble ourselves, even as he humbled himself to the point of death, considering others to be more important than himself, and he served them. Beloved, the call that you have to cultivate an inward and an internal and an external love comes through what you do. And so quickly go to those with whom you have broken relationships and in the peace of Christ offer peace because that is what the Son of God has done and all those who are participating in him and who carry that out the peacemakers will be called sons of God. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, help us as your people to take this stuff seriously. Help us not to take your grace for granted, but also help us not to engage with what Christ is revealing here apart from him. Help us to soberly listen to your word and to be willing to let your word run its course through our hearts and through our minds and and through our hands and through our feet and especially through our words. 
Help us, Lord, not to think that because someone has a different political position that I get to call him an idiot. Help me not to think, Lord, that that because my child does something incredibly foolish that I get to call him or her a fool. Help me, Lord, to, to be careful with my heart and help me to be careful with my words and help me to be careful with my actions. And help us, Lord, to live in that sweet spot of your grace. Yet, yes, these things are forgiven, but that there is grace not only for forgiveness, but for the empowerment to grow in your grace as you make us more and more holy in our heart and conduct. We pray and we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.